listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Do not, do not, do not touch that dial. You heard the man. It's time for Fox Sports Sunday. And we've got a lot on the docket tonight. So let's get busy. On that note, please put your seat backs forward. Your tray table's upright. We are ready for takeoff. My name is Bernie Frano. I'm coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. I'll take you up to 3 a.m. Pacific. Just a little teaser. That last hour might be a bit of a blur. I think you can figure out why. I'll be, of course, joined with my savvy and capable crew, Ricky Herrera. And tonight, for Bo Benson, Chris Perfett, and Brian Fenley on the updates as they will man the ship from our Los Angeles compound, turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. Man, we've got Selection Sunday just hours away. Uh, 14 hours away by my calculator, and most of us can't wait. It is that time of year. Things feel normal again. We've got to talk about the NFL quarterback carousel tonight, how that affected the odds. Hey, Major League Baseball, they now have a CBA. Today, March 13th, the mandatory report date for spring training. They're back in spring training. You'll have regular season games starting April 7th. I think you'll have eight games April 7th. The rest will start April 8th. We are off and running. In about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by the great Steve Fezzik, a March Madness version of the Fezzik Five. Get your pens and pencils ready. Get ready to drink through a fire hose. He'll have some great tips for you as it comes to betting March Madness. Um, plenty of names in the news. Believe it or not, a WNBA team violated their CBA much, much more. Plus, what kind of brand new fool are you in about an hour? And what my name? And all kinds of fun hijinks, including maybe later in the show, some tips for filling out your bracket. Last second tips for filling out your bracket. But first... We take a look inward. Why is it we love March Madness so much? What is it? This is not just a passing fancy. 37 million people will fill out brackets. 47 million people will have at least one bet on one of the games. Here in Las Vegas, 360,000 travelers will descend on our fair city, and every single game that's played will have an audience of about 11 million people minimum. Those are some big numbers. Why? Because it's that time of year, March Madness. And frankly, Madness, it, 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 seems, it seems like the right name because you're going to have masses of ecstatic fans all across America and beyond the United States. As a matter of fact, I am told that Italian folks in Italy, near and dear to my heart, I'm 100% Italian, they spend their nights glued to the TV screen to watch the American college teams battle, despite the fact there's a six- to nine-hour time difference between the United States and Italy. Again, that's cool for me. I'm Italian. Hey, you ever wonder why we're so passionate about this? Why does watching someone else compete at a high level give us such strong feelings? Even when our team or our favorite athlete is on the losing side, we still crave it. We can never get enough of it. Despite any negative emotion, We really can't wait for the next game or the next match or the next NCAA tournament, especially if we've taken the time to wager a shekel or two on the affair. Now, we live and die on the ups and downs, and there's no two ways about it. It creates nervous tension, which creates an addiction. Now, I've talked about this before using baseball as an example. Every 15 seconds, there's failure in baseball. The pitcher fails to throw a strike. The hitter fails to make contact. The fielder 
fails to make a play. The hitter fails to reach base. The vicious cycle repeats itself for three hours until someone wins the game. So it teaches us two things. One, failure is never final. And two, you can never reach the promised land without setback. Now, nothing exemplifies that more than March Madness. 68 teams enter, one remains. 20 gut-wrenching days later. This whole thing, this whole process, it starts in our brain. See, our brains, they contain these things called mirror neurons. And these brain cells fire when we watch the players battling on the court. You watch a guy cutting across a defense with a no-look pass, or taking a shot from the three-point line, or blocking the shot of another player. What these things do, these, these neurons mirror what the literal feel would be like, to a milder degree, of course, is if we were actually playing in the game because it's reenacting internally what we watch. Again, it's almost like we're living vicariously through the players ourselves and playing in the game. In other words, it should come as no surprise, fans do live vicariously through players and teams, but even that's not enough. We want more. For a lot of us, a lot of folks listening, athletics have been an integral part of our lives since we were in elementary school. And no matter how far you advance in your athletic career, it's usually never enough. So we examine how our treatment of athletes borders on hero worship and how people go from being competitors themselves to becoming spectators who project their hopes and fears and passions on the players they watch, whether it's in person or on TV. You eventually start to feel a kinship and an unspoken fellowship with these competitors who are on stage. Now, if you really want to heighten the experience, put a bet on the game. So does filling out a bracket. That clearly enhances the viewing participation in the event and very much, very much feeds our competitive spirit. All kinds of buzzer beating, one-and-done formats that can turn unknown college kids into larger-than-life heroes, celebrated programs into jealous bridesmaids. March Madness has a broad something-for-everybody appeal. As anyone who's ever filled out a bracket or an office pool can attest, fans feel as though they're sharing in something bigger than the games. It's infectious. The underdog, you root for the underdog. And then there's the agony of defeat. There's soul searching and then finally one shining moment. And no matter how faithful the loyalty to fans or their alma maters or how close they sit to the court, Fanatics always want to be a step removed from those who are actually competing. And this will always be the primary foil of the average fan. Only the athlete in the arena can truly experience that kind of magic. But balancing the two can be difficult for even the most well-adjusted person. See, for some, the thrill is grounded in seeing human outliers that simply perform athletic feats that most people just can't replicate. For others, nothing can top really the collective high of rejoining and gathering with your like-minded kinfolk. I talked about this earlier with with Todd Dewey back in 87 here at Caesars Palace watching Austin P, a 15-point underdog, upset Illinois, and the fans were screaming, let's go P. I mean, it was hilarious. Let's not poo-poo the David and Goliath aspect of the games because with every underdog victory, you can bet people, they're going to use that as fuel in their own lives, their own personal endeavors, athletically speaking or otherwise. Every buzzer beater, we are reminded that anything is possible. With every vignette about the hardship of a player, and you'll see those two who never gave up in spite of long shot odds to get on the floor, we are retold that we still 
all of us are authors of our own legacy. In the end, really, few things in life can man, uh, you know, match the uniqueness of March Madness, this month-long phenomenon known as March Madness. And I understand it. I think it was a Chicago school teacher that came up with the game, or came up with a nickname 40 or 50 years ago uh, based on a local tournament in March. But now it's caught on. Everybody knows what March Madness is. See, the key is, is that you can script everything but the outcome. And then what lies ahead? The bragging rights for all the winners and the constant reminders that they're witnessing something that's anything but ordinary. This is why we watch. This is why we care. And this is why we always will. That's why, year in, year out, March Madness continues to justify and even elevate its own frenzy. Now, now more than ever, we're going to enjoy it with a heightened degree. Last year wasn't quite the same. The year before, there was no tournament. And then, of course, back in 2019 was the last time it was normal, if that's such a word. And now, given the advent of legalized betting, which is over 30 states, that's going to amplify things even further because that's the essence of the rampant fanaticism. People love to bet. We've known that in years, okay? In the end, there'll be 49 million brackets coast to coast. 400,000 people will come to Las Vegas and we'll have a betting handle that will be twice what the Super Bowl is. The Super Bowl, we did about 179 million. The last full year that was normal in Las Vegas where there were no masks in a full tournament with fans, the betting handle for for uh, 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 March Madness. It was about $345 million. We're going to break that this year. So there you have it. You've got an appeal that goes from sea to shining sea. Fierce rivalries, bitter defeats, sensational victories when it looked like all was lost, which all leads to our belief that there's always hope for a better day. So there you have it. In the end, March Madness is life. Coming up, if you intend... To bet March Madness, then you don't want to miss this next segment. Bring you back out to Vegas. You know him as Steve Fezzik, the Fezzik Five. He was with us every Saturday night during the NFL season. Tonight we've got a special March Madness edition of the Fezzik Five. And by the way, I want to remind everybody that this April 28th through the 30th, Vegas will be hosting the 2022 Draft. An event that will be unlike any other with unparalleled energy and excitement that only the greatest arena on earth can deliver. I would know. I live here in Vegas. The best part is, now through March 13th, we're giving away a trip for two to be a part of the energy and excitement. That's right. You and the lucky person of your choosing can win a trip to Las Vegas. During draft weekend, April 20th, 30th, sponsored by the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. The prize package includes round-trip airfare to Vegas, a hotel stay on the Strip, access to Fox Sports Radio's draft broadcast, and much, much more. To enter and get rules, visit, spot, visit foxsportsradio.com. That's foxsportsradio.com to win a trip to Vegas during draft week. And again, the deadline is March 13th. That's today. Coming up, bring you back out to Vegas, and we'll talk to Steve Fezzik, for our March Madness version of the Fezzik Five. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. 
And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Mike check. Mike check. Do you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game? What's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. And let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one-on-one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real... I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. To make your next move your best move and tap in with me on KJ Live, wherever you get your podcast from. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios at this time. Special treat tonight. You hear him every Saturday night during football season. We now have a March Madness version of what we affectionately call the Fezzik Five. The time is now. It's the Fezzik Five. These are the five things you need to hear about now. With the only back-to-back Hilton Super Contest winner, Steve Fezzik. Here's Bernie Fratto. All right, Fez, here we go. We're just hours away from Selection Sunday. People will look at their brackets shortly thereafter. There will be the matchups on the board with the various lines, the odds, the futures totals. So let's get your common sense perspective on how folks can bet and enjoy March Madness. And, of course, I know one of your basic tenets is stay away from the needle in a haystack stuff and your thoughts on long shots. Yeah, I hate long shots. The media will lie to you all week long saying, oh, there's great value betting teams like Connecticut or Arkansas, and all you need to do is win two or three games, and then they can start earning off of it. The truth is, Bernie, you get short paid by about 50% on most of these bets versus just doing a mechanical parlay. What do I mean by that? Instead yes. of betting $100 on these teams to win it all, take that 100 bet them on the money line on each and every game and just keep rolling it over, you wind up winning way more money in almost every case. No, it's it's a very smart uh, thought uh, on your part, Fez. And, of course, uh, I agree with you. The long shots, needle in a haystack, use the word value. There's never any value in a torn-up ticket. All right, you also have a philosophy about just playing straight bets. Yeah, so avoid the needle in the haystacks. Play stuff where... There's just two options. So typically the most common bet is just play the point spread. So take five and a half or lay the five and a half. Don't get too crazy looking for who's going to win the East region or um, something that um, is even more exotic, like what will be the exact number of points a team will score. Those are like the Super Bowl prop bets that the house absolutely cleans up. Bernie, there's a reason Vegas always wins against the sucker Super Bowl bettors because they make these long shot bets that simply we don't want win. Keep it simple. Play bets that there's two outcomes, one side or the other. Right. No, that's a that's a good uh, philosophy, Fez. I agree with you. So don't play long shots. Stick to straight bets primarily. Now the other thing too, I think money management is very critical. Yeah, exactly. So 
the pros, when they're betting sides, they make some of their biggest bets during the conference tournaments. Uh, example, there was a game today, Akron-Kent, where one of the teams had players suspended for the first half. There's opportunities like that in numerous games throughout the season and certainly in the conference tournaments with questionable motivations as well. That's not the case in the big dance. Everyone is ultra-motivated. These lines are super tight. Don't suddenly go and bet. If you're normally $100 better, don't bet $1,000 because it's the big dance and think you have any kind of great edge. You don't have it making those sort of bets. The house is going to beat you. It's mostly entertainment. Pros don't really step it up and bet big in the tournament more than they do other times of the year. Talking with Steve Fezzik, the March Madness edition of the Fezzik Five. Again, don't play long shots. Focus your money on straight bets. Don't bet them too large. Manage your bankroll. Enjoy what you're doing. Be smart with your money. And now this one is near and dear to your heart because you're a legend when it comes to identifying props. You, you we, I, I believe you had, what, over 75 prop bets on the Super Bowl alone. But the good news is you can play prop bets in March Madness as well. Talk about your philosophy in prop bets in March Madness, Fest. Now, do play prop bets. That's where you can get obscene advantages. These bookmakers, they are overrated. I hear all the time, oh, you know, the, the, the bookies are so sharp, and whenever a game lands on the number, oh, the bookies, you know, they know what they're doing. No, they don't know what they're doing. The betters know what they're doing. So when you have a game that like lands right on the number, like Long Beach State did um, this evening, oftentimes it's because the betters have massaged the number and bet into a soft number by the bookies. And the bookies make egregious mistakes oftentimes when it comes to setting proposition bets. What do we mean by that? Things like exactly how many games will the Big Ten win? Not that you're going to forecast they'll win 12 games, but they'll put an over under. You can go over or under, yes. say, 12 and a half. Those are the sort of bets where there's only two bets that you can make over or under. The bookies oftentimes make large mistakes, and you can take advantage of them. No, that's very true. Now, the fifth one, uh, before I get to, to some open-ended subject matter, you talked about the brackets depending on the number of entries. Explain what that means. Yeah, so if you tell me, uh, someone told me, oh, I filled out the best bracket ever, and I was like, well, what do you, for what contest? And he goes, well, I'm going to use it for all my contests. And that's completely wrong. So it depends how many people are in a contest. Let's say you have 10 people, for instance, that are in a contest. It would be foolish to pick a team like Connecticut to win it all because they're not going to win it all one out of 10 times. And to win your bracket, you're going to have to get the tournament winner. So if you think Connecticut has, has value in terms of a long shot, that's fine to use them if there's 1,000 people or even you know 300 people in your bracket in your contest. But if, there's a, if it's a very small, like a small little office pool, you have to go more chalk. Uh, the most extreme, Bernie, if you and I had a contest, who could pick the better bracket? I will take the team that will be favored in each and every game, and there's nothing you can do to get an edge against me. I will have the edge against you if you pick any upsets. That's the extreme example of just a two-person bracket contest. All right, Fez, all good stuff. Now, I want to drill down on a couple of these things because I'm in firm agreement about needle in the haystack bets and long shots, but there are an occasional exception that you might want to do that. Talk about those exceptions and when they would be uh, be advantageous. 
against the openers because the bookmakers oftentimes when they're first putting out something they can make a mistake i know that the year loyola made the final four i had a friend of mine did catch loyola 75 to 1 to make it to the final four and they were an 11 seed so they had a favorable draw where they didn't have any really tough games the first couple rounds and they were going to be you know lying close to pick them in those having said that bernie leave that one up to the experts the experts um can find those needle in the haystacks that have value uh you won't find it if you're a casual better don't uh, be looking for that it, it's too difficult to find um value and the like i said when there where there is value it's going to be gone almost immediately but it's the openers that you want to look at all right so it's one of the things we haven't talked about our totals bets and there are some venues obviously most of these kids are going to be playing in strange cities and strange venues and sometimes very large arenas. Tell the folks how that can affect totals bets. Yeah, uh, large football venues are not good for basketball, and you oftentimes see the three-point shooting suffer with a bad backdrop. An example, for years, the pros during the conference tourneys loved to play the Arch Madness um, to go under in St. Louis, and they loved to play in Frisco, Texas. That's the Dallas Cowboys practice facility. It's a big, big um, uh, facility that has bad backdrops, so they always, the pros like to play games in Frisco to go under and inevitably you'll see some venues that are going to be played in football stadiums look to in general to play those games under all right now do you have any team circled fez that you have your eye on in terms of where you believe you'll get some some favorable opportunities to fire on just because of these teams pedigree you know what yeah call me a pessimist the glass is half empty bernie I'm looking for teams that I can bet against. So any team that has a solid uh, tournament um, run during this week and becomes a public team is a team I oftentimes am looking to bet against because the public jumps on them. An example would be Iowa. I think Iowa, I've seen this movie before, Iowa runs up and down the court, so they have a very pleasing um, way to watch them, and they talk about how deep they are and how they all can shoot. They're just not that good. So um, now they've had to play all these games in a row in the Big Ten tournament. They're a team I would be looking to fade um, you know, because of this run, and certainly uh, Tennessee could qualify as well if um, they have a real uh, solid performance on Sunday. So anyone who had a really good tournament run and winds up winning their conference tourney, they're in a celebratory mood oftentimes, and they often stub their toe against the spread with a higher point spread tax in the first round. So this kind of leads to a larger subject matter. Uh, Final thought, Fizz, before I let you run. You don't really believe in the momentum theory when someone comes out of a big conference tourney win. They don't necessarily carry that momentum into the tournament. They don't against the spread. And I'm not really sure, Bernie, if it's so much that they do worse than if they would have lost in the first round. I think they do about the same, but what happens is that they have to pay a bigger tax. So in the first round game, if they had the same opponent, instead of laying 17, they have to lay 18. And that doesn't sound like a lot. Hey, it's one point. What does it matter? Well, do this. The rest of your life, I want this is a homework assignment. I want you to look at all your bets and record them. And then I want, I want you to add one point to each bet and subtract one point. You know what you're going to find after 10 years of betting? You are the greatest better in the world if you get an extra one point only on all your bets, and you are absolutely the worst better in the world if you lose a point on each and every um, bet that you make the rest of your life. 
Fez, great stuff as always. That's a mouthful. Folks can hear it on the podcast. Fez, enjoy the next three weeks. It should be madness. Spring forward to the madness, Bernie. Thank you. All right, that's Steve Fezzik. Fezzik 5, the only back-to-back winner of the Hilton Super Contest. Won it twice, the only two-time winner, the only back-to-back winner. Coming up, I'm going to piggyback on Fezzik, give you some Cinderella teams to keep an eye out as this tournament gets underway in just hours, at least the bracket portion. But first, let's go to the man. The Silver Tongue Devil with the Golden Pipes, Brian Finley with the latest. Thank you so much, Bernie. A ton of automatic bids being handed out on Saturday in regards to college basketball and the men's NCAA tournament. Thanks to some finals and conference tournaments happening on Saturday, including what happened in Bernie's area in Las Vegas. That was where the Pac-12 held their tourney in Arizona upstages UCLA, 84-76. to Benedict Matherin had 27 points leading the way for the Wildcats. He also was the Pac-12 player of the year. Then in the ACC, Virginia Tech did the unthinkable. We didn't come here to win three. They've come here to win the first ACC tournament championship in program history. 82-67, the party is on for Hokie Nation. Virginia Tech Radio Network, yes, they get the convincing win over Duke in the ACC. Also with the Big 12, Kansas is victorious over Texas. Tech 74 to 65. Ochai Abaji, 16 points to lead the way for the Jayhawks. The Big East winner is Villanova after they hold off Creighton 54 to 48. Boise State narrowly beats San Diego State 53 to 52 in the Mountain West. The Big West and Bernie Fratto has a big smile planted on his face because his alma mater, Cal State Fullerton, is in after they hold off Long Beach State 72-71. to The Beach had a chance with that last possession to make a shot. They couldn't get a shot off. They had about 20 seconds to do so, and the defense from the Titans was just too good. Some other notable teams getting in. Alcorn State from the SWAC, Akron from the MAC, Vermont, America East, the St. Peter's, or St. Peter's that is, by way of the MAAC, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, Montana State is your big sky champ. Also, New Mexico State UAB are in, and then we have a couple more automatic first that will be handed out later today. Purdue and Iowa will meet in the Big Ten title, Texas A&M and Tennessee, SEC, Houston and Memphis. The AAC as Penny Hardaway has really turned around the Tigers season since Imani Bates left the program. And then quickly in the NBA, Jordan Clarkson ponies up 45 points to guide the Jazz over the Kings, 134 to 125. And Clay Thompson binging in the score sheet with 38 as he steers the Warriors over the Bucks, 122 to 109. Clay Thompson from Orange County. Bernie Frado has spent a lot of time in Orange County. And with that, we get it back to our man in Las Vegas now, Bernie Frado. All right, Brian, thanks for the update. And as you mentioned, there, will, there are still several automatic bids to be decided later today. There are five conference championships that remain to be played, and each of those winners will get their ticket punched to the dance. Already there have been 27 automatic bids, but there have been some big names, and these these teams are getting in, but Kentucky, Auburn, Duke, San Diego State, teams that have perennially been in the, uh, have lived in the big dance, uh, will not win their conference championship, yet they'll all get bids. And I think Kentucky is still very alive to potentially win it all. Uh, Duke, uh, I would say doubt has been inserted, but I would still not write them off just yet. They could do it, but 
I don't know how many more apologies does Coach K have in his uh, bailiwick here as his swan song might not be ending the way he wanted it to. As you look at your bracket later today when you download it, you know that if you are one of the people that predicts the national champion or maybe you get two or three or four of the final four qualifiers, that's bragging rights, man. But if you if you identify a Cinderella team that gets to the final four, now you've got a real badge of honor. And there are three or four Cinderella teams that I think uh, are most likely, depending on the matchup where the game is played, and what the point spread is, I will be firing on these teams as they will be underdogs in their games. These are damn good teams. The first team I'm going to talk about is Vermont, all right? Coached by a guy named John Becker. In the last 10 years, they've won at least 11 games in their conference every year in the AEC. The problem is it's a one-bid tournament, so if you don't win the tournament, you're out. And they only, prior to yesterday, had only been to the March Madness uh, dance twice in that span but they were a number 13 seed in 2017 and they were a number 13 team in 2019 and in those respective years they took purdue to the wire and they took florida state to the wire covering the spread if they make it they will be a thorn in your took us vermont is a very good team they rank fifth nationally 58 percent effective field goal percentage and 38% from behind the arc, plus the rebound rate of 54.4. They rank 28th in the country. These are very good numbers. They'll probably end up playing someone be- somewhere between a 3, 4, or 5 seed in their first round. Vermont will be an underdog. Blindly, I would just about say they'll get at least half a unit out of me because if you get on the floor with Vermont, expect a serious fight. The IES from the America East Conference, you probably don't get to see them play a lot. Trust me, they're very good. So with South Dakota State now, Vermont's stock and trade, their calling card is defense. South Dakota State, their stock and trade is offense. And I don't know on paper, literally, if you can find a more efficient offense in the country than that of the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. They're 27-4 and this year. They were a perfect 16-0 in Summit League play. They won their conference tournament. They lead the nation in three-point percentage. They shoot 46% from area code three. Their effective field goal percentage, 61%. That's unheard of. They only trail Gonzaga. South Dakota State averages about 87 points a game. Gonzaga averages a little over 89 per game. They're only behind Gonzaga, South Dakota State is, in terms of points per game. Now, in fairness... The Jackrabbits, eh, they're a little allergic to defense. Opponents end up shooting about 35% from the perimeter uh, uh, in the country. That defensively puts them near the bottom. They rank about 270th, and they're just 288 in turnover rates forced. So they don't turn you over a lot. They're not great defensively, but they can score. All right? So South Dakota is the one team in this tournament, along with Gonzaga. They might give up 89 points. But they might score 90. So you take a hard look when the Lions come out at Vermont and South Dakota State. Another team that I'm very impressed by, Colgate. Now, last season, Colgate got an you know, invite to the dance. They put a hell of a scare into Arkansas in the first half. They jumped out to a 14-point lead. Finally, Arkansas's depth uh, and experience really recovered, and they beat Colgate. And Colgate did lose their top score and they did start this year four and ten 
but they're on an absolute tear as they head into March Madness. They've won 16 of their last 17 games. Every victory has included a margin of victory of at least eight points. Again, Colgate, this is another team that can shoot. The Colgate Raiders, you're going to know their name by Thursday. They have the nation's sixth best three-point percentage. They got five players that average three triples a game. Four of them, you hear these names, Nick Cummings, Jack Ferguson, Ryan Moffitt, Oliver Lynch. They've connected at a rate of 38% cumulatively or better from behind the arc. That's scary. Again, Colgate won their Patriot League tournament, and uh, they're on their way. I I think they'll be a very good value in the first round, no matter who they play. Now, Davidson has to win their A-10 tournament tomorrow. Uh, and But in terms of offense, there's just two spots behind Colgate when it comes to the three-point leaderboard. Now, Davidson, they've knocked on over 39% of their three-point shots this year. And if you give Davidson any space on the perimeter, if you don't close out on the shooter, if you give them free catches in space, free shots uncontested, they're going to knock them down. They look for their shot. They find their shot. And I would tell you they rank 321st in adjusted tempo, which means they hold the ball a long time. They drive you nuts. They don't turn the ball over. They're patient. They wear you down. All of a sudden, late in the game, they're in it, and they scare you to death. And, again, Davidson has to win the A-10 tournament later today, but it's it's never a guarantee, and it's probably a one-bid league. But let's assume they do. They're going to be heavily matchup dependent against who they play because their defense isn't great, but their offense is superb, so they'll be getting points. And depending on the draw they get, you give uh, Davidson with their perimeter depth and a slow pace game, they can be a higher seed's worst nightmare because they hang around, they wear you down, they start banging threes. All of a sudden, you look at the higher seeded team, doubt is inserted, and the next thing you know, Davidson is on the verge of an upset. So watch those four teams, Vermont, South Dakota State, Colgate, and Davidson, those are potential Cinderella's that can turn someone's bracket upside down. Coming uh, coming up, we're going to bring you back out to Las Vegas. You know him, you love him, you can't leave without him. Mackin' on sports with Mackenzie Rivers. Yeah, there was some football movement this week, and that affected the odds as well. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studio. Stick and stay. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. We're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. We bring you back out to Las Vegas. You know him. You love him. You can't leave without him. Mackin' on sports. Mackenzie Rivers. Well, Mackenzie, there was NFL in the news again this week, as per usual. But in this particular case, there was some movement and lack thereof for two very prominent quarterbacks uh, that didn't go unnoticed. Yes, I was disappointed in the world because I said Russell Wilson's going to be the biggest story one day of this offseason. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the biggest story you can imagine once he resigns one day of this offseason. As a radio producer, I would have two great A blocks lined up. Well, sports gods didn't say that was going to be possible because Tuesday afternoon, one hour after Aaron Rodgers has announced he's coming back to Green Bay, an even bigger quarterback news hits the airwaves. Denver Broncos acquire Russell Wilson. Their odds had 
actually ballooned up because, hey, Aaron Rodgers was off the market for about an hour or one elite quarterback taken off the off the market. The Broncos went from 20 to 1 to 25 to 1. Well, an hour later, they were 12 to 1 after getting arguably a top five quarterback in the saddle. So it made me think, it made me think, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Aaron Rodgers and his greatness, Russell Wilson's and his greatness. I'm a stats guy. I wanted to look at it analytically. Two of the paramount characters in the NFL quarterbacking ranks in the last decade. What do the numbers say? Well, win percentage wise, I was shocked how close it was. 66% for Russell Wilson, 66% for Aaron Rodgers. Both of them, during their eras, you know, Rodgers started in 2008, Wilson in 2012, were second in that category. They were both second behind the same man, Tom Brady. That's going to come up again. I looked at their playoff performance. R.J. Bell has a great stat. It's called pregame playoff points. Because playoff wins doesn't really count as much if you get a win in the wild card round. Versus the division round. You want to know how far you made it in the playoffs. So, one point for wild card, two point for division, on and on to the Super Bowl. How did these guys stack up? Russell Wilson, nine playoff wins in 10 years. Aaron Rodgers, 11 playoff wins in 14 years. By the playoff point system, exactly equivalent. Each year, they average two points. That means, on average, they make it to the divisional round. So again, another exact tie, both behind, you know him, you love him, Tom Brady, number one in that category. For both, they're second in that category. You, this you, is the distinction. This is the distinction I found. Versus expectation, Aaron Rodgers is number 12th. If you look at his Packers teams over expectation season win-wise the last 14 years, Russell Wilson's number one. It seems to me their now whole career is their can whole I, distinction. Let me, let me yeah, buddy, I'll tell you why. Because ever since the infamous pick-rub play where Wilson threw the interception in the Super Bowl in January or February of 2015 to lose to the Patriots, they're 3-5 and five in the playoffs since then. The Seattle Seahawks. Yes, and they've been... Uh, not really expected to do all that much. You look at 2017, they were only expected to win nine games by the Vegas market. In 2018, seven and a half. So that's my point. Russell Wilson, because of that you know, infamous moment, because of the fact that he was kind of carried there by defenses, year after year is underappreciated by the market, his teams. That's why, on average, they go a game and a half above their season win total. Aaron Rodgers is great. He's probably better. He's probably much better, or at least you know, 10% better than Russell Wilson will ever be. But the market is very keen to just how good he is. That's why, if you bet their season win total, the Packers, the last 14 years— you're almost exactly 500. Well, you are exactly 500. You're seven up, seven down. Only a fifth of a game better than expectation. Vegas knows almost exactly how good Aaron Rodgers' teams have been in his career. I think this is going to be very interesting in terms of the dynamic that Russell Wilson will bring to Denver and how it manifests itself on the field. They've got weapons around him. And I... I, I I'm very curious, and they're also in a brutal division with... No doubt. You know, so anyway, do you think that the Denver money, I mean, McKenzie, they were 20-1, to 1, and then Aaron Rodgers announced he wasn't leaving Green Bay, and they went to 40-1. to 1. Then, what, a couple hours later, Russell yep. Wilson, they dropped to 12-1. to 1. Do you think that's justified? 
Well, if you look at the other teams around them, I have a little bar bet with our guy Steve Fezzik. The Denver Broncos also twelve to one. I'm sorry, the uh, San Francisco 49ers also twelve to one. The Dallas Cowboys thirteen to one. They've done a lot. Those teams have done a lot more recently. But you talk about the weapons around it. If the if the Broncos were one piece away, if Teddy Bridgewater was just that one Achilles heel last year, then there might be some value there. You talk about the division. Six times defending champions are the AFC West champion Chiefs. That number shocked me because it was, Patrick Mahomes hasn't been there six years. It's been that dominant from Smith to Mahomes, seamless transition. Here are the updated odds. The Chiefs are down to plus 120. The Broncos went from plus 450 after Wilson to plus 230. So their odds have been cut out in half. Khalil Mack was the big news on Friday. Yes, yes. Upgrading the Chargers odds. They went from 4 to 1 to plus 350. The Raiders, I mean, they're just still the Raiders, still with Carr, same old deal. Not a love, not a lot of love, not a lot of excitement. They're 10 to 1. I'll throw it over to you. A lot of different, you know, opinions in the AFC West, a lot of excitement. Do you think the Chiefs repeat or do you think there's an upset? No, I think the Chiefs are going to be right back. Uh it's always difficult when a player goes to a new team, they caught lightning in a bottle with Tom Brady. Same with Matt Stafford, the Rams. Top credit for their accomplishments. The odds that are happening three times in a row, I'm just not so sure. And I think uh, to your point about Khalil Mack being paired up with uh, Joey Bosa, uh, the Chargers are going to be for real. The Chiefs are for real. They're the team I trust most in that division, but you can't count out Russell Wilson and Denver. All right, good stuff, McKenzie. We'll have you back in an hour. We'll talk about your three best NBA bets coming up. Your favorite hour of the show. We have a little fun. What kind of brand new fool are you? Followed by what my name. Keep it locked right here. This is Bernie Fratto. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. The Fox Sports Sunday train keeps right on rolling. I'm Bernie Fratto. Come to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Little different situation tonight. This will be our final hour of the show because I'm on Pacific Coast uh, Pacific Standard Time. So that means in an hour, it's currently 1 a.m., 101 a.m., out west. And in one hour, the clock magically flips from 2 to 3, and we'll hand it off to Brian No and Andy Furman. But we've got a raucous last hour for you, beginning with the dance sensation that is sweeping the nation. It's something we do every week. We affectionately call, what kind of brand new fool are you? Well, yeah, what kind of brand new fool are you, see? Because every day across this great land of ours and around the world, people do things that just simply boggle the mind, and there could be no other conclusion to draw except you're just a damn fool. So we begin. We go to Florida where we track a couple of dumb criminals. One's name was Joey, and the other's name was Matthew. And they had been casing this apartment complex for a while, and they decided they were going to engage in some robberies. But, see, these are really smart guys. And so, what they decided to do, they knew there were cameras. That didn't bother them. They decided they would simply mark up their faces with markers. So, therefore, they would not be recognizable even with a camera. There's only one problem. Joey and Matthew used permanent markers on their face and within hours after their little escapade the cameras caught them they were identified and arrested by the police which leads us to the only logical conclusion joey and matthew 
What kind of brand new fools parallel are you? Chris Perfett. All right, Bernie. So I'm taking you simultaneously to the worlds, two worlds I keep going to. The world of international soccer and the world of cryptocurrency and NFTs. Because somehow they collided because, as always, there's a lot of problems with uh, a lot of NFT projects out there in the Web3 space. Namely that a lot of people start out on projects and realize very quickly that they are not grounded well in terms of copyright. Which, I mean, makes sense. A lot of these guys are libertarians. They don't understand legal terms to begin with. So, um, John Terry, a former English football coach and a former player, launched an NFT project back in February called Ape Kids Football Club. It sells 3D images of apes in just cartoon monkeys wearing, you know, Premier League and English, you know, soccer jerseys, everything else. It's all, it's all very cutesy. It had a lot of backing from several current players and former players, including uh, currently playing for Roma, English striker Tammy Abraham, Ashley Cole, Jack Wilshere. They all endorsed the project. Uh, it traded around, I think, most most of them originally traded around $600 plummeted to about March where they were trading for under 70. However, uh, shortly after Terry announced the project in January, it came out that um, it, it it's it, coming out in March is now there might be legal troubles because they were forced to shut down some of the uh, some of the depictions on these NFTs because they don't have the copy the, the use of Premier League co- and Premier League Club copyright on them. So they'd remove depictions of the Premier League, UEFA, FA trophies, the Chelsea logo, all those from illustrations. So Oops. Yep. If you're setting out to do one of these things, understand your country's copyright rules. They are important. And trademarks too. What kind of brand new fool are they? Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Brian Finley. Yes, Bernie, as you know, as we get ready for the Selection Sunday, there are a lot of conferences out there that only get one bid. you got to win the conference tournament, and that's all you can do. That would be the case in the Mid-American Conference. See, last night you had Kent State and Akron playing. We know the result, Akron won. Why did they win? Well, there's a story behind the scenes here involving Kent State that hurt their cause towards trying to win. And it was because there were four players on the team after they won the semifinal matchup in the conference tournament who went on Snapchat. I guess some people still have that. I haven't used that in years. But they went. <laughs> I, seriously, I, I guess. We're people, too busy on MySpace. Yeah, Go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. So, and by the way, Bernie, if I had MySpace, you would be in my top eight. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. That's so cool. I know, I know, right? No, that's that's yeah. your life journey and, and, and goal. So there were four players on the Kent State basketball team who got in trouble because they produced this social media video on Snapchat where they basically trashed their upcoming opponent in Akron and some used foul language. And their forward, DJ Johnson, was suspended indefinitely. Then one of their starters was suspended for the first half, along with a couple other guys who were suspended for the first half. So technically, you had four really solid players on Kent State who did not play in the first half of oh, this boy. game. Akron ends up winning. You and anybody who, who's from that area understands that this is a tense rivalry between the two. There's only 10 miles separating both of these schools. But the way in which those four guys blew it for their team and their chances makes Kent State, those four players, that is, 
fools here on Fox Sports Radio. Fair enough. The golden flashes, a stain on their legacy. All right, Brian. Ricky Herrera joins the Freddy. Always thoughtful, introspective Ricky Herrera with his version of what kind of brand new fool are you? Okay, Bernie, uh, I had a hard one narrowing this down. Uh, it seemed like there that was a lot. That sounds like of... a drop. I'm, I'm never mind. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it did. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, not sorry. Go ahead, Ricky. You got the floor, my man. Oh, there was a lot of uh, fools in the news this week. But speaking of social media, uh, we all know people like to go viral. And this week, uh, we're going to Pennsylvania because Saucy and Honey who are YouTubers, are facing criminal charges that could result in up to seven years in prison. Uh, White Whiteland Township police say 25-year-old Saucy and 24-year-old Honey were arrested after hiding inside a Chester County Target store and filming the encounter for their social media. They spent the night in the Target and were caught because of their video. And they got arrested, I believe, didn't they? I heard about that. Yep, they got arrested, and they are facing up to Charged seven. Charged for trespassing, right? Yep. And I have to ask Saucy and Honey, what kind of brand new fools are you? Yeah, that's uh, not not a good way to spend your time. They're this they're this YouTube couple, and they film themselves hiding inside a Target. Uh, I, I don't I don't get it, man. It's like they're coming. You know, they run they've run out of ideas, right? All right, good stuff, guys. Another rousing edition of what kind of brand new fool are you? And that, of course, brings us to our segue of America's favorite game show that we also affectionately refer to as What My Name. All right, you guys have just been killing it, so I had to really up it a little bit this year. It's a little bit of a March Madness theme. You may have all heard about the great Phi Slamma Jamma teams, Houston Cougars with you know, Clyde Drexler and company, and uh, they came this close. I'm holding my fingers just a centimeter apart and winning it all in 1983, but they didn't. But they went to three straight Final Fours, that Fiesland Jamma team, and they were coached by a gentleman. I was the coach of the Houston Fiesland Jamma Cougars. Chris Perfett, what my name? Oh, man, just because I know this from the NC State, State doc, Guy Lewis. Nicely done, right out of the gate. That I I know this because uh, um, Survive in Advance, 30 for 30, about Jim Valvano. Yes. Fantastic yes. documentary. Very good. All right. I talked about this earlier in the show, and I even dropped this name. But 1987, and it happened to be the first time I visited Vegas for the uh, March Madness. I've been to Vegas a million times, but this is the first time I hung out here at Caesars Palace March Madness and a first round game between Austin P as a number 14 seed in Illinois. Austin P, a 15 point underdog, crowd chanted the whole time, let's go P, and they upset Illinois as a 15 point underdog. I was the star of the game and the leading scorer for Austin P. Chris Perfett, what my name? Oh, nope, 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 nope. I got it. No problem. All right. I was the leading scorer and the star of the game in that Austin P team that upset Illinois in the first round in 1987 as a 15-point underdog. Brian Finley, what my name? Uh, Dave DeBusher. Very good. I love it. I love it, man. I love I, I love the chicanery. All right. Let's see if Ricky Hura can bring us home. Ricky, I was the leading scorer on that fateful day when my Austin P team beat Illinois as a 15-point underdog. What my name? 
John Stockton. <laughs> I love these guys. It would be Daryl Bedford. Daryl Bedford is the name we were looking for. All right. This one should be a layup. See what I did there? A layup. Okay, never mind. All right. I was the coach of the team. <laughs> I deserve that one. I was the coach of the team that actually beat Five Slamma Jamma on that fateful night in 1983. Ricky Herrera, what my name? Tubby Smith. Oh, I thought you did this for sure. No. All right, I was the coach of that team in 1983 that beat Five Jamma to win the national championship. Brian Finley, what my name? Jimmy Galvano? Bingo! Running around looking for someone to hug. Don't you remember that? Wasn't that amazing, that scene? And I, I got to tell you, go ahead, Chris. No, again, like that documentary is probably the best work from 30 for 30. Just I saw that game live as it happened. I was at a bar in Long Beach, and it looked like it was going overtime. And Lorenzo Charles... And I mean the long lob, and all of a sudden he lays it's, it up. It's the lob. They didn't realize it's a lob. To, That's right. Him inside. It, like it was an just, air ball. Yeah. It, it, right. About a twenty-eight foot shot, and and we all know what happened next. You know, Thurl Bailey, Lorenzo Charles. We just ordered a round of drinks, and we, we it was going overtime. Like the original Velva. Cinderella team. They they really were. That was incredible because I believe NC State was a seventh seed and boy, and Jimmy Valvano, you know, of course the the, the whole coach. They had the, to get the, in through the the ACC tournament too, which they was did. Like brand new. And they almost didn't. They almost didn't. Now that that's a really good thirty for thirty. I, it's funny. I was courtside today. I've covered the Mountain West Conference tournament uh, since two thousand twelve. And it's really a good tournament. You know, Kevin Harlan was on the call today. Nice crowds. The San Diego State bands and the Boise State bands, awesome. They're going back and forth for about a half an hour before the show, playing some really good tunes and just banging them out. The electric guitars, horn section, the whole nine yards. Here's why I bring this up. When you're courtside, you get a chance to see how coaches really work the referees. Everybody's kind of got their own style. Uh, Leon Rice, the head coach at uh, Boise State, and of course he was he had a lot of success there, and he's he was uh, on Gonzaga staff for many years before he took the job at, at Boise State. He's kind of like this didactic. He'll look at a ref and point things out like an instructor, what he did wrong. Brian Dutcher, great guy. He was the coach in waiting for Steve Fisher at, uh, uh, at San Diego State all those years. He's done a phenomenal job at San Diego State as well. Both those teams are getting in. And, of course, Dutch was on the bench for the Fab Five. He was an assistant, Steve Fisher, back in Michigan. Story for a different day. But Dutch is kind of like – and he's a really nice guy. But he'll throw his arms in the air like, oh, I can't believe this. This is just unbelievable. Well, you see the way coaches work at Narte. I was there the other day, too. Steve Alford, uh, Nevada Wolfpack. Of course, he's been around New Mexico, UCLA. Brian, I'm sure you remember Alfred at UCLA. Probably want to try to forget those years. He's just brutal with referees. I mean, uh, t- one minute, not even 30 seconds into the game the other day in their opener, uh, he, he's all over a ref. Oh, I can't believe it. you got to call that. Dude, the game's 30 seconds old. Here's why I bring all up that Michigas, because Jimmy Valvano once went up to a referee Whispered in his ear, he says, Ruff, can I ask you a question? Can I get a technical just for thinking something? Referee says, no, of course not, Jimmy. Why? He goes, good, because I think you suck. Boom, teed up right on the spot. Never be another Jimmy Valvano, that's for sure. All right, coming up, 
Major League Baseball is back. Spring training mandatory report is today. We'll have spring training games in a few days. We'll have Major League Baseball for real on April 7th, the full 162-game season. How did it happen? When everybody went to bed Wednesday night, there was predictions of doom, but cooler heads prevailed. I'll tell you what happened coming up next. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Well, we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Among the many doings this past week were the fact that the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association and the owners finally were able to consummate an agreement, and the owners ratified it by a 30-0 to zero vote. The teams, 26 to 4, the executive committee voted against it. But here's what's interesting, and, and I consider that it, it, well, it's probably a win for both sides, but I really consider the, the players to have made up all kinds of ground that they had been looking to make up for a long time. And I know that they were very rankled by the fact that in the last four years, salaries have sunk 4.7% on the aggregate. The cumulative salaries for 2021 were less than they were for 2015. The game continues to grow. The revenues are at an all-time high, yet there was an increased gap between the percentage of the revenues the players saw in their paycheck and the top-line revenues for the game. Case in point, there's a thing called the luxury tax, which they've now changed the name to the competitive balance tax, the owners, it can be argued they've been using it as a de facto salary cap, which is what they want. But just to give you some perspective before I set up what happened Wednesday night and how this thing got settled, 2008, baseball was a $5 billion industry. And the luxury tax threshold per each team was $155 million. In 2021, baseball had grown to an $11 billion industry. That's double from what it was. Yet, the luxury tax, the competitive balance tax threshold per team had only increased to $210 million per team. So the game doubles in revenues, but the luxury tax threshold only increases by 27%. And there are some other issues. I won't bore you with a bunch of numbers. The long and the short of it is heading into this negotiating, uh, you know, well, actually, it was more of a game of chicken and a test of wills, but they finally started to negotiate on the 28th of February for 16 hours, and they made progress. They didn't get a deal done, but lo and behold, within another 10 days, they, they got this thing done. And the, the ideological purpose behind what the union wanted to accomplish this year was to take care of the zero to three guys. And what that basically means is the the guys who aren't eligible for arbitration after year three or certainly free agency after year six, they wanted to create uh, opportunities above and beyond the minimum salary, uh, the one of the minimum salary raised as well. But they wanted to, to create opportunities so that breakout players and star players could get paid quicker and have an opportunity to benefit from their sensational uh, performances. Okay. So, First, let me begin by giving some final details where I believe the players made some very notable games. They created a thing called the pre-arbitration bonus pool. Now, originally, the players wanted $110 million 
to be spread over 150 players, the owner said, okay, we'll, we'll agree to this concept. We'll put $10 million in a pool and spread it among 30 players. Well, that was negotiated out. They went from being $100 million apart to about $30 million apart. They settled on $50 million. So now there's this pool of money, $50 million, found money by the union. Over the next five years of the deal, it's a total $250 million. So if a young uh, Brian Finley or Chris Perfett or Ricky Herrera goes out and hits 40 home runs this year as a rookie for the Dodgers or the Padres or name your team, and they, get, they make the playoffs, they have an opportunity to earn a bonus. Or they uh, perhaps win rookie of the year, finish second or third rookie of the year voting, or Cy Young or MVP. They have an opportunity to earn a bonus on top of their minimum salary, which has now been raised substantially because the minimum salary at the beginning of the last CBA was 535000 per player. That's your minimum salary when you get a major league contract. And it, it topped out about a 575000 uh, last year in 2021. Well, now that's been increased to seven hundred grand for 2022, growing all the way to 780000 in the fifth year of the deal, which is a, a dramatic increase. So now you've got this found money with the pre-R bonus pool and the minimum salary, uh, you know, increased quite a bit. So those are major gains. Now the CBT, which I've talked about, the competitive balance tax, also known as the luxury tax, it was two ten uh, last year per team. Year one, it'll be two hundred and thirty million per team. Growing to 244 at the end of the deal. Now, this is a $20 million increase in the competitive balance tax from 2021 to 2022, now starting at $230 million this season. That's a win for the players. It's the largest increase ever since the inception of the luxury tax, which came out of the 94 95 strike that canceled the World Series. The $130,000 increase in the minimum salary up to $700,000 for this year is also the largest year-over-year jump. And the pre-R bonus pool, when you add it up over five years, $250 million in new money, found money over the course of the deal, those are gains. So what happened? Wednesday night, they went to bed. Things were looking bleak because the owners want a international draft. The players are against it. Uh, in future shows, I'll talk more at length about why, but... The Rule 4 draft here in the United States, you can draft high school players, you can draft college players as long as they're 21 or they've completed their junior year of college. Not so much internationally. It's what you would call sort of the Wild West run by rogue operators. And the country that produces the most talent, the Dominican Republic, is very corrupt. Uh, there are players that they, you know, people might identify that are 14, 15 years old that can command huge money, but you've got to go through certain you know, de facto player agents just to get to them. We don't even know if the player gets all the money. So you draft any player, anywhere, any age, all kinds of money flying around. They want uniformity. Major League Baseball wants uniformity. They want to clean it up, clean up the corruption. And uh, obviously there are some teams, like the Mets, that scout that area and do much better in that area. There's a lot of talent down there. Seven of the ten players that led the league in war last year came from that area. In future shows, I'll talk a little bit about the international draft. The bottom line is they went to bed that night. The player reps went back to the rank and file and said, here's where we're at. And the rank and file said, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're willing to miss paychecks. And by the way, for every game that would have been canceled, the union would have lost $21 million cumulatively in, in their paychecks. And the owners, by the second week in April, would have had to start 
submitting rebates to the regional TV partners for canceled games. So the rank and file went back to their player reps Wednesday night via phone and said, no, 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 wait a minute now. We, we were willing to go to the poll if we don't make the gains we want on the pre-R bonus or the minimum salary in the CBT, but not a secondary issue like the international draft. We've got to work that out. We're not canceling games over that. So they went back. Cooler heads prevailed. They reached the detente. They agreed both sides that they'll set this aside till July 24th and they'll come to some sort of agreement on how to structure an international draft to commence in 2024. And if they can't, then the players uh, will be stuck and saddled with the uh, qualifying offer, which are things I can explain in future shows. The long and the short of it is we've got baseball. Cooler heads prevailed Wednesday night. And trust me, when the weather breaks in the cold weather cities, you'll be glad. Nothing like going to the ballpark, having a hot dog, enjoying the game. It is our pastime. It is a way to pass the time night after night. There's a reason this is growing from a billion-dollar industry after the 94 strike that canceled the World Series to an $11 billion industry now. People can bash on it. It may not be as exciting as football week to week or some of the other sports, but trust me, baseball is very much part of Americana and in the mainstream. And later today, when teams hit the field for spring training, there'll be a jump in your step because, yes, baseball season is right around the corner. Coming up, one last look, tips for filling out your bracket as we're about 12 hours away from the selection show. But first, let's go to the man. Well, he can ball like Jordan Clarkson. He can sing like <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. He's our own American Idol, Brian Finley, with the latest. Well, thank you, Bernie. And as you said, Selection Sunday is later on today. A potential one seed in the bracket would be Arizona. And they took care of business last night as we look at conference college basketball conference finals in contests and they in the Wildcats beat UCLA 84 to 76 Virginia Tech spooking Duke 82 to 67 in the ACC crown and the title for that one also out of the Big 12 Kansas victorious over Texas Tech 74 to 65 Villanova adds on to getting another trophy Gillespie runs it out Cats win Cats win Cats win final score Villanova 54 Creighton 48 as the Cats win their sixth Big East tournament title in school history tonight at Madison Square Garden. Villanova Radio Network, did you guys hear the Cats win? Yeah, they did. They beat Creighton 54-48, to and that's for the Big East Championship. Boise State finishing on top in the Mountain West after they take down San Diego State 53-52. to we also saw Bernie's alma mater, Cal State Fullerton, hang on against Long Beach State 72-71 to to book reservations into the big dance out of the Big West, of course. The SWAC title goes to Alcorn State. Akron wins the MAC, the MAC championship, of course. Vermont, St. Peter's, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, they are all in. So is Montana State, the Big Sky champion, and they are in the Bobcats for the first time since 1996, and this time they beat Northern Colorado, 87-66. UAB taking Conference USA by stiffing Louisiana Tech, 82-73. And New Mexico State, a whack power. Yeah, they beat Abilene Christian, who made a little bit of a run of it in the NCAA tournament last year, 66-52. At least they played tough against UCLA in that 
March Madness from 2021. Just a couple scheduling reminders for later on today before that bracket is unveiled. Purdue and Iowa will meet for the Big Ten title. Texas A&M and Tennessee will cross blades for the SEC championship. And Houston and Memphis will meet for the AAC championship. And then in the NBA, yeah, there is NBA action happening during all this college basketball mayhem. Jordan Clarkson yeah, that's Jordan Clarkson, not Kelly Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson, as Bernie stated, 45 points to guy the Jazz over the Kings, 134 to 125. And Clay Thompson looking really good out there on the court, 38 points for the Warriors as they get the job done against the Bucks, 122 to 109. Back to a man who has a jump shot as smooth and as silky as Clay Thompson. It's our guy Bernie Fratto in Las Vegas. And as you say about your updates, Brian, people wait a lifetime time for a moment like this. Oh no, did I just do that? Did I just channel American Idol from 2002? Bernie, are you an avid watcher of American Idol? That I think is what America just found out about you. First five years, yeah. First five years, yeah. I really miss Ruben Stutter. Not anymore. I don't watch it anymore. Ever since Simon Kyle left the show, not the same. That's a story for a different day. First five years, yeah. All over it like a hobo on a ham sandwich. All right. Speaking of brackets, which Brian just mentioned, in a few hours, you'll be able to download yours and you'll see who the number one seeds are and see where some of your favorite teams, what region they're going to, what city they're going to, who they might match up against. And you know darn well that this is all about excitement and fun and bragging rights. And the truth of the matter is, every year they say it's a wide open tournament. It's it's really not. There will be some teams that crash your party that get to the Sweet 16, maybe the, the Elite Eight. But when it comes right down to it, really, there's only a handful of teams you can trust that could really win six in a row or even five in a row to get to the final game or even four in a row just to get to the final four. It's not easy to survive an advanced tournament. It's a different dynamic when it's win or go home. But under no circumstances should you pick all four number one seeds to reach the final four. It's only happened once. It's always tempting. You're going to look at Auburn and Kansas if they're the they're number one Gonzaga, Arizona. Say, yeah, man, who's going to beat these guys? Well, if history shows us, and it's only happened once since 2008, so you've got to figure out who's going to crash the party. And in the nine years, um, in the last nine years, out of a potential 48 number one seeds, only six times has a number one seed uh, reached the final four with a with a you know a situation where. You pick all four number one seeds. The truth of the matter is two or three. I don't know if all four get knocked out. I don't think that's right because a number one seed to win it all has happened nine of the last 12 NCAA tournaments, including last year's champion Baylor. So the moral of the story says history says the number one seed will probably win the national championship, but not all four number one seeds are going to get to the final four. So when Keep that in mind when you fill out your bracket. Focus on matchups more than metrics. Now, metrics are a good way of comparing the 357 teams against each other, and it's a little bit more complicated when you try to compare head-to-head matchups. There are just too many nuances that go into the general metrics. A lot of times, again, you've heard me say about analytics. I get them. They're important, uh, but they are not a be-all, end-all. They are not an inflexible anchor. They're a guideline. And many of these things are based on simulated matchups played 100 times, but you only get one game, one matchup, all right? 
So if, if Boise State goes up against Iowa State, I'm just throwing that out there. I, I think Boise State could be a six seed. Uh, so you take, a, you take two teams. You look at the matchups. If they play similar styles, the better team typically is at a huge advantage. However, look at the matchups. Styles make fights. If one team <coughs> plays a defense that basically packs it in and there's the other team to shoot threes and that team shoots them well, all of a sudden that advantage that advantage suddenly disappears. And if the better team by the metrics, let's say they have kind of a small front court, but the underdog has a big back court or big front court that could dominate on the boards and box out and get second chances, they're going to be a more appetizing pick. So when in doubt, read up. I talked about teams like Vermont and Davidson and, and Colgate and South Dakota State earlier. These are really good teams, really stud pesky mid-majors. You get a better understanding of their style and who they match up against, you're going to have a better opportunity to pick winners or certainly pick games against the spread. One other thing, you know, there's an old saying in sports, a star might win you one game, but a team might win them all. But when the tournament rolls around, the survive and advance mentality really favors teams that have stars who can win their individual matchups. Remember John Moran a couple years ago with Murray State? By the way, Murray State's got another very good team, all right? So if you're stuck on a game and you're really having a hard time picking uh, who might win that game in advance and you think it could come down to the wire, go with the team that has one or two players you trust to make the plays, stars, to make the plays down the stretch when the heat gets hot and it's hard to breathe, okay? Teams win games, but stars are the ones who step up big. Finally... Gonzaga, you can pretty much plug them into your Elite Eight. They've got the longest active Sweet 16 streak. They've appeared in four of the last six Elite Eights. They've got, I believe, the best team on paper in college basketball this year. And after they win their first game, which they should, barring another 16-1 upset, they'll have a favorable 8-9 matchup and then two vulnerable teams at the 4-5 and scenes in the region. So, can they win three in a row to get to the Elite Eight? Well, they've been doing it with regularity now. They're not a lock to make the Final Four, but frankly, I think Gonzaga has the best odds to at least make the West Regional Final. So if you're dead set on having Gonzaga get upset just because you think so before the Final Four, make it in the only round that makes sense to have that happen, and that's in the Elite Eight. So there you have it. And of course, uh, by next week at this time, a lot of us... We'll be teeth gnashing about how our brackets are already busted. And can you believe, uh, you know, Bemidji State beat Duke and Coach K has to apologize again. But that's a story for a different day. Coming up, we're bringing you back out to Vegas. You know him, you love him, you can't live without him. He'll give you three best bets in the NBA for games being played later today, Sunday. Mackinac Sports with Mackenzie Rivers up next. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Keep it locked right here. You're listening to Fox Sports Sunday on Fox Sports Radio. Right, we're back on Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio studios. Before I go any further, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles, Chris Perfett, Ricky Herrera, and tonight for Bo Benson and Brian Finley on the updates. Great job, guys. Turning all the dials, keeping us glued together. Could not do this fine show without you. In about 12 minutes here on the left coast, we have a little thing called daylight savings time. So poof, it'll be 3 a.m. before you know it. 
And we'll turn it over to uh, Brian, No, and Andy Furman. First, let's bring you back out to Vegas. You know him, you love him, you can't live without him. Mackinac Sports, Mackenzie Rivers. The NBA is especially Mackenzie. Eight games on the docket tomorrow. What do you got? Yes, it starts early and often with the New York teams meeting up together. But that's not my first best bet. You're going to have to wait till the second game where the Detroit Pistons are mm. home underdogs of five points. That's my side. That's who I'm taking. I'm riding with Cade Cunningham, number one overall pick, who since the All-Star break has kind of put an exclamation point on the number one most improved team from the NBA first half to the NBA second half. Cade Cunningham, 29 points per game on 50% shooting in nine games since the break. The Pistons have gone from the league's worst net rating, how you do pretty much per game, losing by 11 points per game, to average, losing by one point per game. That is a tremendous achievement, a tremendous improvement. Dwayne Casey should be proud of the way they're going. Yeah. And the Clippers is kind of the opposite. They kind of know where they're going to be. They're going to be in a 7-8 game with the Timberwolves, and they're kind of middling. And this is an interesting stat. I'm not sure. It's kind of the topper that makes me you know, fire on this particular bet. What do you think of it? Ty well, Lue. I'm gonna... Go ahead. Go ahead. All, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, McKenzie. Ty Lue in early games. So this game starts at 12 p.m. Pacific. In any game that starts at that early or l- earlier, his team has not woken up 8 and 16 against the spread in those games, 33%. Does that seem like kind of a coincidence, or what do you think is going on there? Well, it, it's not a coincidence. And I want to talk about the Pistons because you brought up a lot of good points about them. This is the beauty of the point spread, the great equalizer. Look, the Pistons have only won 18 games all year. They're not a threat to scare anybody. But against the number, they're not only five games above 500 against the number at home and overall, they're 10-0 and against the spread in their last 10 games. Meanwhile, the Clippers, they're under 500 on the road. They're still laying five points. I'm assuming that's the line you're working off, Pistons plus five. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some dog money. The Pistons have been a wise guy's favorite since the NBA second half. A lot of their lines have gotten shorter, but plus five right now, widely available. I'm with you on that bet. What do you got next? I want to go to Indiana, Atlanta. No team has been more of a revolution as far as their playing style than the Indiana Pacers. They've been a very methodical team with Sabonis and Turner. Well, that's why they brought in Rick Carlisle from Dallas, who once had the number one offensive rating team ever with the Mavericks and Luka Doncic only two years ago. This is how they've done it. They got rid of Turner by getting him hurt. Good job. And then they traded Sabonis. They got him out. Since they've traded Sabonis, their games have been 20 points higher than previously. Previously, 220 points per game. Since they traded Sabonis, 240 points per game on average. We're going to go over 237 versus Atlanta. Very simple reason why Atlanta is the team to bet over on. Number three offense in the league. Number third worst defense in the league, the Atlanta Hawks. We are going to go over in their game versus the Pacers. Sounds good. I, I probably am not involved in that game. Indiana's burned me a few times. They're catching 11 points. They are just too weird for me. All right, what do you got for number bet number three? Yeah, and it's not too often I want to go over 237. It's such a high number, but that is the state of the NBA. This is my best bet, and it's a prop bet. New Orleans Pelicans are hosting the Houston Rockets. Devontae Graham is the last man standing for the Pelicans that has any kind of offensive game, and they're going to rely on him as a five-point favorite to get the job done. Brandon Ingram 
Kevin Durant's disciple has looked like Kevin Durant. Since the All-Star break, he's been a top 10 usage guy. And if you look at any of the top 20 usage guys, so Durant, Giannis, all the most used players in the league, no one's been more efficient than Brandon Ingram since the All-Star break. And his absence the last two games since he's been missed has been missed dearly. A lot of other players are throwing up shots. C.J. McCollum, who they just brought in from Portland, he was picking up the slack, then he went down. Devontae Graham hadn't thrown up 14 shots in a game in over a month and a half. He did that in the first three quarters against the Hornets, and then they took him out because they were losing so badly. Well, now they're five-point favorites against the Rockets. I don't expect them to take their foot off the gas at all. Graham's getting all the attention on that offense now that Ingram and McCollum are out. Love this play. Best bet, Devontae Graham over 15.5 points. Before we run out of time, the plucky, pesky Oklahoma City Thunder catching 13 at home. I get it. Memphis is 44-24 and 24 against the number. That's a lot of points, McKenzie. Yes, and remember, my best bet last week was the Jazz laying 13 against the Thunder. Landed right on the number, yep. Yeah, and they were up by like 25 most of the game. The Thunder haven't been the team in the second half, but I think the Jazz are three points better than the Grizzlies, and now this number is the same, 13 points. So I think it's about three points off. I don't think the Thunder should be laying 13 at home versus the Memphis Grizzlies. Got about 10 seconds. Lakers catching eight and a half against the depleted Phoenix team. I don't think, I, I don't know, man. That's a stay away. What do you think? No, no. They, they got their win. They got their win on Friday. They're relaxing <laughs> on Sunday. They're taking it easy. All right. Good stuff. McKenzie selection Sunday, just a few hours away. There you have it. McKenzie's best NBA bets for Sunday. And this is going to be a fun weekend as spring training begins, March Madness begins, and the NBA rages on among everything else. It just never ends here. All right. Thanks so much for listening tonight. That's going to do it. I'm Bernie Fratto. This is Fox Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Radio. Keep it locked. Up next, Brian No and Andy Furman.